0: I love Easter. There's so much to celebrate. It's such a great family time, such a great moment to have a holiday together and to remember that our Savior rose again from the grave. And again, that's where to celebrate. You know, the first Christians had a thing they would do. And when it came Easter time, they would always say this. The first century Christians, they would say, he is risen. And then you would say back, he is risen indeed. So let's practice that. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He risen He risen. He risen He is risen. Nice. Don't you love that? We need to start doing that. We should just start saying that to each other. I absolutely love that. You know, as I was studying the Easter story, there's so much to cover, you know, and normally I just go straight into the cross. Obviously, that's the most powerful part of the story where Christ dies on the cross for our sins. He pays the penalty that we owe. Instead, he pays it for us on our behalf. And this, of course, that story is unbelievable. And it's the truth. There's, there's evidence of this. There's archaeological evidence, historical evidence. I love getting into all of that. But today I want to do something different. I just felt led by God to go in a, in a bit of a different direction. Still, it's still from the Easter story. But I want to start not with the cross. I'd like to start not with the trial of Christ. I'd like to start with Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the, was the garden that Jesus went to. We're in a beautiful garden today. And, and Jesus was in a garden where he prayed and said, God, not my will, but yours. And this was a difficult time for, for Jesus. It was, it was dark in that garden. And I do believe right now that a lot of people are living in dark times. A lot of people are going through a dark season in their life. You know, depression is through the roof, divorce, drug abuse. I could go on and on with the social ills of today. But you already know them. You go online, you have social media, you already know where people are at. People are hurting. We understand that. And even even Christians, those of us who love the Lord and know God, we oftentimes are hurting as well. There are three moments of darkness in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in this story. It's very powerful. And I want to just point out what those three mean to us today, if I can. So I want to go with a different angle. But today's message is called Hope. In your darkness, we all go through three seasons of darkness in our life, and I don't care who you are, it doesn't matter whether you are wealthy or whether you're broke. Either way, you're gonna, you're gonna all face these three seasons. Whether you have no degree or have more degrees in a the thermometer, either way, you're gonna face these three seasons of darkness. It doesn't matter who you are, It's my point. You can be a Christian or not a Christian. Either way, you can be really walking with God, and you will still have these dark seasons in your life. All of us do. And so, let's find some hope today for these dark seasons. Of our lives, So I just want to dig right in if I can. Before I go into the actual Easter portion, I want to read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was a prophecy that was written 700 years before Christ came. Think about that. When people tell me, oh, you know, just some man wrote the Bible. First of all, you say that, that, that tells me you don't, you don't know the Bible because the Bible was actually written by many different people under the inspiration of God. And the way we know it was God's word is because somehow this book written by many different authors that was written over a thousand year period of time. All goes together so well. And I just want to show you one example in Isaiah 53. 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah nailed it. I mean, he, he got so many facts right. It was unbelievable. Just in a short scripture. Isaiah fifty-three six says this. The Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. From prison and trial. Those are two specifics. They led him to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins and suffering for their punishment? He had done no wrong, but he was buried like a criminal, third thing. Then he was put in a rich man's grave, fourth thing. But it was God's plan that he should suffer. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children. We are the children of God because of what he did. We have four specifics here. There's another fifth specific that Isaiah mentions that, that he would come from Nazareth. He would come from Bethlehem. Jesus came from both of those places. Pretty amazing when you think about that. What about the fact that Bethlehem was a town of 700 people when Jesus was born? And uh, so he was one out of 700 that had to fit the prophecy. And that was one out of 700 out of 1 billion people all on the earth. And yet Jesus fulfills all these prophecies perfectly. Just one more sign that we know that, that Christ is the real deal. Now, Jesus also prophesied about his death and resurrection. John chapter 11. This is John's eyewitness account. John was there when he said this. Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, like everyone else, will live again. So Jesus says, hey, I am the resurrection. He's like, I'm the resurrection guy. That's what I am. So he made it really clear. Everyone knew that he said, I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Now, this was not a popular teaching when he got to this point in his message. You'd be like, oh, by the way, I'm going to die. They were like, no, 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 we don't want you to die. What are you talking about? Because they really believed, Israel really believed, because they had so much political turmoil going on, they really believed that their savior was going to be a politician, and, uh, and he's nothing like that. And he's like, no, that's, that's not it at all. I'm going to die. And I'm going to raise again. So we're like, no, you can't die. You're supposed to run for office and turn everything around. And so and isn't it funny how to this day people still fall into that trap, thinking that that's going to be the answer? But if that's what we needed, God would have sent a politician, but he didn't. He sent a Savior. Because that's what we really need. And so Christ came, and he said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again to pay the price for your sins. Now let's jump into the story. Check out Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 36. Says, then Jesus went with the disciples to Gethsemane and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He became anguished and distressed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed down with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. I find it interesting that Jesus literally, the human side of Jesus is like, is there any way I cannot have to do this? But then the God part, Jesus, spoke up inside and said, Noah, I, I know this is your will, God. But I love the fact that he was so human, also so God at the same time. He was both. And so he knew what he was about to have to go through. Did you know the word Gethsemane literally means garden of the crushing? You know, all of us go through a crushing. Every one of us have seasons of darkness that are difficult. It says in Scripture that Luke recorded something that none of the other disciples recorded. There were three disciples with him at this point. The other guys didn't see this, but Luke saw it. And why did Luke see something physically on Jesus that the others didn't? That's because Luke wasn't called Luke. Luke was actually called Dr. Luke. He was a doctor. So he could recognize the medical condition of someone. So he knew, Jesus, you're, you're not just sweaty. You're, you're sweating drops of blood right now. And he knew that's hematidrosis. He knew exactly what it was. Look at the scripture. It says in Luke chapter 22, this is his account. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling into, onto the ground. So what this means, hematidrosis means that the capillaries on the inside of your body burst open. They get bruised from pressure from the inside. They burst open and then they bleed through your sweat glands and your sweat gets mixed with blood. Can you imagine? I mean, all the disciples looked at him and thought, You look like a wreck, but Luke was like, No, you're not a wreck. I know exactly what this is. Why why do I mention this today? Because we tend to think that Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross, but he was already paying the price for our sins in Gethsemane. In other words, he wasn't just wounded on the outside of his body, he was wounded on the inside. And how many people today are wounded on the inside? We have deep wounds, inner anguish, turmoil, darkness from the inside out. So Gethsemane represents anguish, inner wounds, and it also represents loneliness. Now, Jesus went with his disciples to the garden where he normally prayed, but at some point he said, you guys stay here. I'm going to go in further without you. Why is that? Because no person understands your grief in yours alone. No one understands your sorrow. No matter how close you are with your husband and wife, your best friends, they're not going to fully get your sorrow, your pain, your grief. But Jesus does because Jesus took on your sorrow. He took on your pain. He took on your grief in Gethsemane. He felt it. He understands what we go through. What's interesting is, is not only does he understand this, he goes to God and he prays three times. You know, he asked God three times, would you take this from me? But then at the end of that prayer, he always said, but Lord, I want your will, not mine. Look at the next time he said it. It says in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Why would Jesus pray this three times to God? Well, did God not hear him? Was God not aware? Was he taking a day off? Of course not. God heard him. I believe the reason why sometimes our prayers are repetitive is it's not because God doesn't hear us, but God's conditioning us. So sometimes when we pray, oh, God, please do this, God, please do this, God's God's shaping us by our prayers as well. Yes, he answers our prayers, but this is a prayer that Jesus prayed that God said no. I think we forget that. If Jesus can hear a no from the Father, what makes you think you and I aren't going to? So what's the real crushing here? The real crushing is I didn't get my way, but I'm going to get the Father's way instead. I think it's also interesting that he uses the word father again and again. You're not really going to understand what God is like as a father until you are in your crushing. That's when you really pull close to God like never before. He becomes Abba. He becomes father to you in that moment. Now, two things about the crushing I want to tell you. Every life has its Gethsemane. Every one of us has our crushing. But look what happens in verse 43. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. So every life has its Gethsemane, but every Gethsemane has its angel. God always comes to help you in your time of crushing. Can we just give God a praise that he's always there for us, even in our (laughs) darkest moments. He's there to help us. The second darkness that I noticed right away when I was reading the scripture was when it went dark at noon. So Christ is. At this point, by the way, let's just, let's just back up in the story. So he says, if it, not my will, but yours. This is the third time he said it. He gets up, he goes back to his the disciples. They're asleep, right? You ever, you ever felt that, by the way? You ever felt alone because you, you thought someone was going to understand and be there for you, and it's like they're asleep? We've all had that, haven't we? Can I tell you that sometimes the sweetest part about when, when you feel lonely is that you discover you're really not, that God's been there all along. But how would you really discover your walk with God if you didn't have a lonely moment? If you didn't have a moment where you just said, God, she's you and me and I need you bad, no one else can fill my soul but you. Sometimes those moments are what draws us close, it's what makes us who we are, are moments like that. So Jesus looks at his disciples and says, You guys get up, they're coming, my, my betrayer's here. And Jesus comes over, kisses him on the cheek. You know the story, right? But I I thought, why is Jesus in Gethsemane? Why did he go there again? He had just told Judas, like they just had the last supper, like, hey, I know someone's going to betray me. And the guy right now that's eating, you know, Jesus has got the chips and salsa. And he's like, huh? The guy's about to eat right now. That's the one that's going to betray me. He calls him out. Then he goes to the place he knew Judas would find him. Why would he do that? Because Jesus intentionally went to get caught. Because he meant to go to the cross. Jesus put himself in harm's way so that you and I don't have to. He intentionally did it. Isn't that cool? So let's fast forward in the story. Jesus now goes and is falsely accused. There's a totally mock trial. Everyone's against him in the whole place. I mean, it's like, this is as rigged as it gets. And so they, 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 they basically say, yeah, you're guilty. And they didn't have, they, There's no real evidence other than some liars, saying, oh, he disrupted this and that, and he's a bad guy. Oh, yeah, he's guilty. And so then Pilate says, what do you want to do with him? Kill him. You know, like, are you wait, what? Are you crazy? This is Passover. Well, we'll release one guy, and we'll take him instead. So they, they decided to kill Jesus. They beat him. They spat upon him. They took his clothes off him. You know the embarrassment of that? He's already been beaten. Now they rip his clothes off. He's naked, bleeding. They gamble his clothes away. They mock him. Oh, you're the son of the, you're the king of the Jews. They're mocking him. They're making fun of him. And at that point, they, they nailed him to the cross. Then while he's on the cross, literally giving his life, at one point he says, Father, I give you my spirit. He says, Into, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. At that moment, the world goes dark. It's amazing to think about that. This is a good, again one more piece of evidence that we know this really happened. By the way, did you know that this is written about outside of the Bible? There's, there's archaeological evidence that's been found of a guy writing a letter in response to his friend's letter. The guy who wrote the letter back, his name was Julian Africanus. Look that up. You should Google that. Julian Africanus. He wrote a letter back to a friend and he said, Hey, the reason why I think it went dark at noon when our Savior died was... So in his response, he didn't question whether it went dark. He was questioning how it went dark. Isn't that amazing? One more piece of archaeological evidence that proves that Jesus really did what the Bible says. He died and he rose again. But when it went dark in that moment, that darkness represents something. That darkness at noon represents a lack of hope. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, think about that. If you're Mary watching your son die, if you're one of the disciples watching your brother die, if you're doing that, your champion just died. The one that all your hope is in is gone. Talk about a lack of hope. And this must have been an incredible dark moment, just not for the world, but I believe it represents our dark moments, because here's a dark moment we all face. That moment in our life when we look up and we go, you know what? This is not how I thought life was going to go. I thought my life would be different. I, I got married, thought it was going to be great, and then, and then it wasn't great. And they, they didn't keep their promise. Or I took this job thinking this is going to be a great career, and I'm going to be so excited, and why am I so miserable? I thought life was going to go this way, and it took a turn for the worse instead. We all have that moment where we lack hope, when expectations are missed, when what we wanted to happen didn't happen. That's a lack of hope. So, your first darkness could be an inner turmoil, a depression. Your second could be a moment when things just don't go the way you want. And then there's a third darkness. This is after Christ has died. He's buried in a tomb, and they seal the tomb. You know, when you seal a room or a tomb, it goes pitch dark. I mean, black. You can't see anything. Let's check out the scripture. This is, again, confirming what Isaiah wrote 700 years earlier. Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, took the body and placed it in his own tomb. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across in a tomb and watching. This is how we have an eyewitness this account. They saw the whole thing. The next day on the Sabbath, their Sabbath, by the way, was a Saturday. The Pharisees went to see Pilate. Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, they will rise from the dead. See, Jesus said it so much that even his enemies knew it. Keep that in mind. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at, fir- at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Now, let me explain that. To sealing a tomb, they had this big rock in front of the tomb. They would literally take hot wax and pour it around the rock in the entrance to where it, it dries hard, right? I mean, this is, this is hot. You know, it's the Middle East, so it dries. It's also windy, so it dries pretty quick. Then they would have taken a seal, probably Pilate's seal or someone in authority And they would have punched that seal into the wax and therefore they would have known if you break this, if you break this seal, you've got Pilate to deal with or this preceptor, this governor, whoever was in charge, you basically got the the hand of Rome will come down on you if you break the seal. Then they have two guards. Now let me explain what the guards would do. History tells us that both these guards, when, when guards protected prisoners or a tomb of anyone, if that tomb was exhumed, if that body was stolen or a prisoner got away free, that guard who let them off free or somehow they escaped would have to give their life in the place of the person. Now, let me just imagine, let's just take a moment. Let's say you're the guard. Now, are you going to be on, on watch? Are you going to be at your best attention? I mean, I don't want to give my life for this guy. So the chances of his body being stolen are nil. That's not going to happen. Not to mention it was sealed. And so this is the ultimate darkness that we all will face at some point the sealed tomb. This is the finality of death or what I call great loss. Some people experience this great loss when they're young, some when they're much older, but who of us have not had a great loss of someone we love in our life? Maybe Easter is hard for you because of who is not sitting with you today. Maybe you say, pastor, this is such a dark time in my life because someone I love is gone and I just, I would do anything to have a a moment with them again, to say the things I wish I could have said. There's a darkness that comes over someone who's lost a loved one. You know, they say parents, when they lose a child, that they're never the same. And as a pastor, I can tell you, it's true. Every parent I've ever known that's lost a child, they're never the same from it. There's a darkness that you have to deal with. But we've all lost someone, maybe because of COVID. Maybe because of something else. But darkness is, is very real. So there's three darknesses that we all face at some point in our life. What are they? They are Gethsemane. This is when even the beautiful garden seems dark. This is when your world, when other people are laughing and having fun, you may be laughing on the outside, but something inside you is still turning with inner turmoil because of the darkness of what you're going through on the inside that maybe no one else knows about. Then there's a darkness at noon. This is a a lack of hope. The world seems to go darker. Everywhere you look, you think this isn't what I expected. This is not what I had planned. Things did not go like I thought they were gonna go. And then there's the sealed tomb, great loss. When this happens, you just, you can't see anything. You, You feel discombobulated. You think, I don't even know where to start because they were my everything and they're gone and I'll never see them again. I don't even know how to function without this person in my life. The three darknesses that we all face are very powerful. Oh, but this isn't the end of the story. Early on Sunday morning, as a new day was dawning, suddenly there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone. And sat on it. The guards shook with fear and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman and said, Don't be afraid. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen. And because he rose again, you can get up out of your darkness too. You are not stuck with where you are. I've got some great news here. You may be depressed. You may be down. You may have gone through a divorce, a difficulty. God says, you're not stuck in that because for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to bless you, to give you future and a hope. You're not stuck with that lack of hope. And that person that you feel like you'll never see again, God says, oh, no, because Christ rose again. One day, it's not that I'll see you. It's not that I'll never see you again. It's a, I'll see you later because one day I will see you in heaven and there will be a party when we get together again. We have the hope that he is risen. 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 risen. Which means you can rise again too. You are not stuck where you are. The seal was broken, which means you're not stuck either. The seal, the limit's been broken on your life too. God has so much for you. And I believe God brought you here today to say, I'm not done. You may be down, but your story's not over. I'm still writing your story. And God says it's glorious. You know why? Because you win in the end. You win in the end. What's the difference between Christianity and all the world religions? It's real simple. Our founder rose again. Muhammad didn't do that. Confucius didn't do that. Only Jesus rose again. He's the only one that did that. And that's why we know that the foundation of our faith is built on this one historically accurate, accurate, archaeologically proven event that Jesus rose again from the grave. Over 500 witnesses saw him. It's a fact. And you can stand on this fact today. I don't know what's going on in your life, but if Jesus walked out of his darkness, you can walk out of yours. You're not done. Here's the great thing about the darkness you're facing right now. It has an expiration date, but God's grace doesn't. You're going to get through this. Look at me, look at me, look at me. You're going to get through this, and you're going to be just fine. God's going to bring you through, and he's going to make you better. Life is going to get brighter again because you're now living in the light of God. Bible is very clear about this, because Christ rose again. It says this, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. Because he's risen, you can rise again too, out of that divorce, out of that legal battle, out of that painful situation, out of that difficult marriage, out of that difficult parenting situation. God will turn your marriage around. God can turn that child around. God can turn your legal situation around. God can get you out of that debt. God can do anything because he raised someone from the dead. Which means whatever you're facing, you can overcome it. Would you bow your heads me me, every head bowed, every eye closed? We just take a moment to pray. At all of our churches right now, I just want to encourage you. If God is speaking to you, maybe you say, Pastor, I just came because it's Easter, but man, I didn't know God had a word for me. Isn't that great how God is that way that He always has a word for us? Praise God. He knew what we needed. He knew that. He knew about your darkness. He knew about our struggles. He says, I'm there for you. I'm the light. And light. Always penetrates the darkest rooms. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. Would you just raise your hand to God and say, God, I want to thank you that you're going to help me. Just claim this promise. God, I want to thank you that if Jesus rose again, so can I. Just claim that right now. Jesus, thank you that my marriage can be resurrected. My life can be resurrected. My finances can be resurrected. My business can be resurrected. My life can turn around. God, I'm not stuck. I think it's sealed, but you can break through seals. Your authority is higher, Jesus. Thank you. You left the darkness, so I can too. Just thank God for that right now. If that's you today, if you need to hear that, praise God. He's got a word for you. He's got a blessing for you. Singles, he's got a man for you. He's got a girl for you. He's got a future for you. He's got a blessing for you because he's a good God. He's a good father. He said no to Christ's request so he could say yes to yours. And Jesus willingly accepted that he gave his life so that we can know Christ. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you can receive him right now by praying a very simple prayer. Right now across all of our churches, those who are online with us, pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just gave your life to Christ, no one's looking around, would you just lift your hand high if you just gave your life to Christ? Thank you. There are hands going up all across our churches right now. Praise God. Hold your hand high. Thank you all the way there in the back. We see your hands. Thank you all the way in the back. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you all the way in the front here, too. Thank you. Praise God. Hold your hand high. You just gave your life to Christ. Thank you. We see your hands right there at Stone Oak. Thank you. Hold your hand high. Praise God. Thank you, Rodfield. Hold that hand high. Thank you, Padre Allen. Praise God. Hold that hand high. Thank you, Rockport, Fulton. Praise God. You're online with us right now. You can put in a text chat right now. Just text my hands raised or click hand raised right now. We praise God for the decision you made to give your life to Jesus as well. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, God, that you sent your son to pay the price for all of our sins. That's why we are here. That is what we celebrate today. Father, thank you. We got all dressed up for you, Lord, to honor you, to glorify you, because your son rose again. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Did God good? His word is so true.